is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It's a huge blessing to just meet people all the time who have uh, been caught up with us in the adventure, really. Uh, I had the privilege of being in Zambia this time last week, I guess, and there were people there who were, I was telling the leaders uh, in Nottingham during the week, uh, two couples actually just amazed me really. They, they were giving a year and one of the couples said, well, we've got, we've got three kids away at university at the moment, so we thought we'd take a gap year. And <laughs> you? And they were kind of in their late 40s or something and uh, they put down everything for a year to go and serve God in Zambia, working with education situations in the local churches that are getting planted there and a whole gang of uh, guys that seem to be getting caught up with us in New Frontiers and uh, it, it really was so thrilling to hear people say, well God spoke to me at this meeting or that event like North or Downs or Stonely and, and people hear God uh, in a quite extraordinary way. Uh, a businessman in my uh, church, <laughs> I say my home church, there I go again, uh, where I used to be in Brighton. Um, I'm now in uh, southwest London in Kingston. But there was uh, a businessman there is uh, there who said to me that at the last Stonely Bible Week, God said to him to get the book I've written on grace translated into Polish. And... Uh, which amazed me really that he got this word from God that I, he should kind of get us into Poland. And uh, he started doing it. And from time to time he'd say to me, oh, I'm, I'm making contacts in Poland. And I, to be honest, I, I thought, okay, you know, but I didn't get very caught up in it. I just thought, well, we'll see what happens. And, uh, and then last year he said, no, no, we've got a publisher. We've got it all translated. And, uh, and then he said, I found the evangelicals are very keen on it. Uh, but they've said... If you can get the Roman Catholics to publish it with their stamp of approval, it will open so much bigger doors. And then he came to me a few months ago and said, I've got the Catholic stamp of approval on your book. And I didn't know whether to be encouraged or, or whether to be outraged that this book can get that stamp of approval on grace. But the outcome is that next week, uh, not this, yeah, it is next week. Uh, we go uh, to Poland, and he's arranged the whole ministry thing, and we're going to three or four different cities, doing interviews, radio, television, and uh, it's just going out. It's a very religious country, and uh, actually, you may know Polish people in this country, many Polish people, so uh, hopefully it'll become, <laughs> hallelujah, <laughs> available. So uh, encouraging uh, to know that that's accessible now. And then, uh, just by the way, um, uh, another lady actually got in touch and said, I'd like to translate it into Farsi for the, <laughs> for the Iranian world. And uh, we know of Iranians becoming Christian, which is so wonderful. And so I actually had a copy with me last week uh, or yesterday at the conference, um, which has been, it's been translated, it's now available. Isn't that exciting? And uh, again, to be honest, I have nothing to do with it. People have just said, oh, we'll do this. We have a passion for our people or people we know of. And so it's also available in Iranian. And then in June, I'm going out to a conference in the USA uh, speaking to a whole crowd of guys, uh, mostly pastors, coming together and they've asked me to speak on the grace of God, on that same theme. And they've ordered 850 copies of God's lavish grace so that every person, every pastor who comes, he's got, he gets his own copy uh, to go back from the conference. So it's wonderful that God is, uh, as I was preaching about uh, yesterday morning, I suppose, opening doors for us. He has put an open door before us. And the message of grace can be such a life-changing word. It can just set people free and bring them into a new experience of his love, take away all the burden, the pressure, and, and set us free to be sons who want to obey and find God's kindness unchanging. So uh, I just want to just give you a bit of news there that these things are encouraging to us. And uh, we've not exactly retired. We're pretty busy and uh, getting on with what God's giving us to do and very excited about it. So we're thrilled also at the way God is raising up these teams 
So I just want to again encourage you to get behind the, the Northern uh, Together weekend. It's so good to come together, to commit ourselves to the message, to the, see our kids get caught up in it. So many children get filled with the Spirit and saved and blessed. And uh, we get focused together, knit our hearts together. So just to underline what the video said to you, let's, let's press on and do that and see what God will do. And when we first started the Downs Bible Week, uh, you know, it was only 2,700 when we first started it. And uh, already, I think, uh, North has, followed, uh, has already passed that number. And, of course, it grew and grew, went on to Stonely, became just under 30,000. So who knows what God will do with all these various together weekends across the nation. So I just want to encourage you and say, hey, we're still in this together. And God's opening doors literally all over the world. Uh, it's hard to keep up with the many, many doors that are opening and so exciting to press on together. So thanks for that introduction. It's great to have a bit of history tied in and I appreciate it so much. I want to speak to you this evening from Matthew's Gospel, if you're following uh, in your Bible, Matthew and chapter 14. Uh, I read from the NASB, maybe one or two words differ if you're reading uh, the NIV or any other translation you might have. It won't be very different, just here and there. There may be one or two different words. Matthew 14, reading from verse 14. Just kind of interrupting the story to pick up what I feel God would have me share with you tonight. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. The hour is already late. Send the crowds away that we may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We've only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven, blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he'd sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. And seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand took hold of him and said to him, You little faith, why did you doubt? And they got into the boat and the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Father, we thank you that we gather to this one, this one we can reach to in the crowd. This one we come to only with needs, Lord. We don't come to impress you. We don't come bringing our credentials. We come bringing our needs. If I can touch him, 
he'll make me whole. Lord Jesus, it's wonderful to know you. It's wonderful to know your call, your voice that reaches to us, that, that turns to us in the crowd, said, who touched me? It's so wonderful, Jesus, to know that you register it when we're reaching out to you. We thank you, Lord. We're not just so many numbers on a computer, but you find us in the crowd. You turn to us. Who touched me? You say, your faith has saved you. Oh, Jesus, we are so grateful. I'm so grateful you speak to us. I thank you you're so patient with us. I'm so thrilled that we get caught up with you. Lord, thank you that you call us into your adventure. And tonight, Father, we do ask you, please, in Jesus' name, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I pray that every one of us, Father, will hear your voice, that we might feel my Heavenly Father is speaking to me. Lord, please, Lord, we we just come in, we, we, we just shut in with you, we're eager to hear you. And so, Father, we just ask you, please speak to us tonight in a way that fortifies us for the battle and strengthens us. We may go out from here, Lord, freshly strengthened, fortified, to live to your praise. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You often read wonderful stories of Jesus and often see how crowds gathered to him, tremendous crowds surrounded him. So it says that sometimes it was impossible for him uh, to enter towns because there were so many people pressing in. You remember he borrowed a boat at one time because it was probably impossible to just be heard. So he uh, just launched out a little, could be heard from uh, the boat. And uh, people even came through the roof to get at him. But it's fascinating to see that although there was huge crowd, Jesus never lost his goal and perspective and purpose, which really was to gather 12 disciples to shape them and make them the foundations of a new community. He came to Israel, the sons and children of Abraham, who should have been believers. You remember Abraham, of course, a pagan, whom God came to and spoke to and said, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I will bless you. And if you can count the stars or the sand, so many will your children be. And it says, Abraham believed God. And, and something new started in the planet. A world of unbelief. Suddenly there's a guy believing God. And that faith got very tested. Uh, there was delay. Even the offering up of his son. But he passed every test. And here's a true belay, a believer. In a world of unbelief, here's a believer. And somehow he's able to pass on that to his son and their sons and on. And a believing family, a, a company of believers were born on the earth. But by the time Jesus came on the scene, these so-called children of Abraham were unbelievers. They didn't believe. And it says he came to his own, his own did not receive him. And they claimed, no, we're children of Abraham. He said, no, 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 if you were children of Abraham, you would have a very different view on me. And they had so lost their way. And so now Jesus is looking among them and he's going to call out a new community. He finds 12, gathers them and begins to shape them. Of course, even the number 12 is symbolic, it's significant. It's this people out of the people, this new seed is coming forth to create a new community on planet Earth. And Jesus' main ministry, it would seem, is shaping these 12 shaping these people. So by the time he comes to John 17 and you can eavesdrop on him reporting back to his father and saying, look, the ones you gave me, I've, I've revealed myself to them. I've, I've manifested your name to them. I, I've, I've committed. This, it's, it's all prayer about these and then those who will believe through their word. Uh, so Jesus is focused on these twelve. And sometimes he's hugely popular and the crowds love him, they're swarming around him, but he won't get distracted. The twelve are his main focus. Although he's very compassionate, he's teaching the multitudes, touching, healing them, but he's really focusing on these twelve. And so really I want to look at this story and understand it from that perspective. Jesus is shaping a people. He's taking them on a training program. 
And in this story we see how he trained them in a way that I know I was never trained at Bible college. It's rather different. This is the training. You turn over the page. Oh, what's the next training? Turn over the page. Sending into a storm. That never happened when I was at college. Didn't turn up on Wednesday. It's, it's storm today. Storm? And that's the way Jesus trained them. He sent them, sent them into the storm. He directed them there. When we get into a storm, which we sometimes feel we're in, we think, where did I lose the way? Why is this happening? What, what? I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Did I get my eyes off Jesus? Did I lose him? Actually, these guys are in a storm, not because they lost the law, but because they did what they were told. And obeying Jesus is no guarantee that you won't get into a storm. And being in a storm is no proof that you've lost Jesus. It's important to know that because we can look at the surface, we can look at how we think things should turn out, and we can read them wrongly. These guys were sent into a storm. And they're like, why? What on earth is going on? What's happening here? Well, let's just back up a little and see the setting that was in place just before that. Jesus had fed 5,000 people. And in fact, not just 5,000, D.A. Carson would say this, that uh, it says 5,000 men and women and children, and he reckons probably we're talking 20,000. 20,000 people. And he had just fed them. He had them with him for three days. It says he healed every one of them. Imagine, you follow Jesus, they were on the side of a hill overlooking the lake. It says they followed him up the hill. If you compare the Gospels, he ascends this mountain, they follow him. He's up in this mountain, he's teaching them, he's healing them. And then they sleep, they sleep rough. Jesus often had nowhere to lay his head. Next morning they wake up, he carries on teaching them and healing them. And then they go to sleep, wake up a third day, carries on teaching them, healing them. It says, by the third day, there was no sick person left. Imagine 20,000 people in what we would call an undeveloped nation, and there's no one sick among them. And then Jesus says to the disciples, I think they should be fed. They said, feed us, send them away. No, no, let's feed them. And then he feeds them, supernaturally. And he says to them, you feed them. Imagine the disciples, well, let's feed them. Yeah, come on, that's a bit of bread. Feed them. I can imagine Simon Peter, well, um, okay. Um, a bit for you. A bit for you. And then you think, hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, wow. You feed them. And he fed 20,000. And you know, in the Old Testament, it says this. A deliverer will come. A great Messiah. Even Moses, back in Deuteronomy 18, he is told to say to the people, another one like Moses will come. Another great one like Moses. God will send another one like him. Well, of course, Jesus is feeding thousands. He's seeing thousands healed. Moses, in the wilderness, provided fed food. That's how they saw it. They saw Moses, they even argued, Moses fed us. Well, of course, it was God who fed them. But they're saying, hey, look what happened. 20,000 of us were all healed. Now he's fed us. And, it, and, and, and the Bible promises a, another king is coming. There's one that's been promised who will come. And in John's account of this whole thing, it says in John 6.15, intending to come and take him and make him king. The crowd want to impose their agenda on Jesus. They want to force the issue. They're going to take him and make him king. They're going to push him through to take this position, to make him messianic, the king, the one. He's done, he's fed us. Surely he is the one. Let's push the timetable through. And then you begin to understand. It says Jesus, and it says it in Matthew 14, 22, we just read it, compelled them into the boat. It says in the margin of the NASB, where it says he sent them into the boat, he made his disciples, verse 22, in the margin of this, where it kind of clarifies, it says literally compelled. 
Literally, he compelled them. He wasn't taking no for an answer. He wasn't having a debate, would you like to try some fishing? He compelled them. Why? Well, because they can't handle this. Come and be king. What do you mean they, they can't handle it? Well, the Bible makes it clear. They're saying things like, when you come in your kingdom, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? Again, in Matthew, you get, you get the, pe- the, the mother of James and John, and she comes to Jesus and says, what about my boys? Well, get my boys on your right and your left when you come in your kingdom. And here they're saying, let's make him king. He's got to be the one. This has got to be the king. And the disciples say, hey, here we go. This is the one. And we're with him. Yes, we're with him. Yeah, we're his very close associates. Uh, yeah, make him king. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Let's go for it. And uh, we're with him. We're with him. And Jesus takes them and compels them to get into the boat. Jesus is unaffected by the euphoria. He's focused. And what he's doing is actually saving them from something they couldn't handle. And sometimes when things happen to us, and why did I get into a storm? Well, actually, we don't see the whole picture. We don't see all that God is we don't. We simply don't see all that God is doing. We're looking at the storm with him. What's, why is this happening to me? And Jesus says, well, actually, the alternative was more dangerous. You couldn't have handled it. He compelled them into the boat because he is working on them. He's making them into something. He's doing a work. You know, you can be saved in a moment. Isn't it true? It's amazing how people get converted. It's, you hear fragments of truth. You just hear amazing stories. People, well, I found this tract and I, I opened it and read it and I thought, wow. And you listen to people. I love hearing how people get saved. I saw a bus that had a text on it. I thought, oh, wow. You know, people get saved. And yet, it takes a moment. You can be saved here tonight if you're not a Christian. You can walk into this place. You think, okay, I'll go to another meeting maybe. And suddenly you understand Jesus, the Son of God, the pure, righteous, holy Son of God, took on human form and was battered to death. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. So you can walk free. That's what the cross is all about. He was forsaken. He died so that God would never have to forsake you. He could accept you freely as a gift. That can happen to you tonight. First time I ever heard the gospel. I received it. I believed it. I had no background. My family was not Christian. I, the night I heard it, I argued for a bit. I thought, no, this sounds great, actually. And I actually said, why did everybody, nobody ever tell me this before? Oh, wow. It can happen in a moment. You get saved in a moment, but making you into somebody takes a bit longer. It takes longer. I remember reading a book by a very great preacher called Alan Redpath about the life of David, and the name of the book was The Making of a Man of God. See, making a woman a man of God takes longer. Doesn't mean you're not you're saved in a moment. You're right. You're a child of the King, but shaping you, forming you—that's that's a bigger job. And you see how it happened with these guys. You see how it happened with David. You know, David—he comes on the scene. We've been reminded of it this evening. He's just a lad. He picks up a stone and he takes out Goliath. You think, whoa, David. And Saul says, come and be one of my soldiers. Come and be one of my leading soldiers. Yeah, sure. So David's promoted very young into the palace. Here he is, a young soldier. And the girls start singing, oh, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And the girls are singing and David's swishing through the palace and saying, yeah, that's me, girls, that's me. And he's got an eye for the girls. He's pretty happy. Yeah, that's the way. And you think, here I go. Nothing can stop me now. Except a few chapters later, he's in a cave. What am I doing in a cave? With all these people who are fed up, distressed and in debt. And he, a few days ago, he's swishing through the palace. Young prince kind of deal. Now he's in a cave. What happened? Actually, he's on course. Absolutely on course. In the will of God. Being shaped. Being trained. Being buffeted. 
You show, you show me a hero in the Bible who doesn't go through this sort of thing. You think of Joseph. When Joseph was a young man, he has an authentic vision. He sees a, in a dream. He sees his brothers bowing down to him. He understands, I'm going to have governmental authority. And he's, and he's pretty arrogant about it. Tells his brothers, you're going to bow down to me. Next thing you see, he's being sold into Egypt. Then he's put in prison. You think, what? What's going on? Well, actually, every step, every step down to Egypt, Potiphar's household, then this cry, he tried to rape me, lying against him. Then he's in prison. What's going on? Do you know, every step is getting him nearer to where God wants him to be. Every step. looks like I've lost the way completely. How are my brothers going to bow down? They don't even know I'm alive. I don't know if they're alive. I'm getting further and further away from the purpose of God. You ever felt that? You ever felt, oh, what's happening? I mean, I felt God said this to me. I really felt God gave me promise. And it seems like every step I take takes me further away. How can it be fulfilled? He was absolutely on course. Just one step after another. Further, terrible, no, no. Now he's one step from the palace. It just takes one more dream. And he's there. Can you trust God for that? See, these guys are going to be trained. They're also going to be trained for this, that Jesus himself will soon be physically absent from them. He's got a three-year training program with these guys where he's around. Where they can keep turning to him. They can listen to him preaching. They can watch him heal the sick. They can see him start breaking the bread. They see he's around. When they say, why couldn't we cast them out? Oh, we did this, Lord. Why can we do And, and that Jesus is there. Soon Jesus is not going to be there. Physically. And so the story, we find him telling them, get into this boat, while he himself goes up into a mountain alone. What soon is going to happen is Jesus is going to launch his church and he will be high and lifted up. And he's in the mountain praying, as we'll come to in a minute. And that's exactly a kind of foretaste of what's going to start happening soon. And so Jesus is training these guys. He's training them. So, right, he sent them into the storm. Right, can you perhaps see some of the things you're facing with new light Being in a storm is no proof you've lost the will of God. And obedience to Christ doesn't guarantee a storm-free life. We can sometimes make it sound like that. Come to Jesus, everything will be sunny. Mm. No, it doesn't guarantee no storms if you follow Jesus. It doesn't mean you've lost him if you're in a storm. It was planned... By Jesus. Secondly, it was really painful. It really was demanding, challenging, scary. And you look at some of the words in the text. By this time, they're in the middle of the lake, the lake of Galilee is 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide. It's sometimes called the Sea of Galilee. This is no little pond. They're right out there, they're in the middle of the lake. It's not like you can get out of this. It's not like, oh, oh, let's jump out. Hey, it looks a bit stormy. Let's pull back. No, you're in a position you can't get yourself out of. It's a situation you can't change. And sometimes we get into that. I don't know how I can get out of this. And sometimes it happens in family. You think, well, how long is this going to go on for? Maybe it's a sick elderly relative. Maybe it's a young child. Maybe it's, I, I can't see a way out of this. The financial situation, I mean, I can't see a way out. It's not like we can change things. We sometimes, we get used to changing things, don't we? We live in a press-button age. Like most guys, I'm one of these remote-control fanatics, change things. Wendy says, oh, can we stay with this? Oh, it's just a commercial. Hold on, I'll just look and see if there's anything else on. I don't like this much. Change it, change it. And you want to think, if only I could change this. But here's the situation, you can't change it. You can't just press a button and walk away from it. And sometimes that is very scary. You feel, hey, I I am locked in. I'm locked in. I don't know my way out of this. And you could be feeling that even maybe tonight. I'm locked in. There's no easy way out. I can't make it end. I can't walk away. 
I'm kind of captive to the situation. That's what it was like for them. They were captive to their circumstances. They had, it was beyond their power of control. That's what Jesus pushed them into. Then it says phrases like this. The wind was against them. It was hostile. They couldn't relax. It's like if we stop rowing, we're in trouble. Because well, we've got to keep back. You can't just relax. Some people say, oh, Christianity, just let go and let God. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. And here we find that you can't just stop. Inwardly, it says they're straining at the oars. And these, these phrases are ever so vivid if you look at it. They're straining at the oars. Again, I like, I like this Bible because I like the vivid margins where, they, where it says this is what the word actually means. So it says in the margin in here, they were harassed in rowing. They're harassed in it. It's not just, you know, it's hard work rowing. It's, it's getting into them. And in fact, it's the same word. It says they were battered by the waves, verse 24. Again, margin, literally tormented. Tormented by the waves. It's the same Greek word that's used to describe the effects of demons tormenting people. And it feels I'm being tormented. I feel, wow, what's going on here? It's like, it's out of my control and I, don't, I just feel tormented. And that's when the storm gets out of the lake and into you. And you feel, I don't know, I'm out of control here. I, I'm losing my way. That happens to believers. That happens to Christians. They were tormented, they're in pressure, and the storm is no longer just in the water, it's in their hearts. One more, they were, it was prolonged. Jesus, it seems, was preaching, teaching, healing, feeding, and then late in the day, he sent them out. It says, in the fourth watch, Jesus came to them. The commentaries tell us the fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's this isn't, this isn't just quickly over. This is, this is extended. This is taking time. This is 3 a.m. When's he coming? What's happening? It's, the darkness has come, but Jesus hasn't. It's like it's hard. This is going on. This is difficult. And some of the Psalms say things like this. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How difficult is this? And part of Christian life has these moments, these seasons, when you're saying, Lord... How long is this going to last for? What's going on? And that's part of their experience. And you can feel that kind of, if only you'd turned up, Lord. Like the story of Lazarus. It says the word got to Jesus. I can imagine the, the, the sisters saying, if only Jesus was here. And they say, it's all right, send someone. And they come back and say, it's all right, we got to him. Oh, great, you got to Jesus. But he doesn't come. And another day, and another night, and another day, and another night. Hey, you sure you... No, no, I got the word to him. But he hasn't come. And this storm is coming, but Jesus is not coming. And then it says this. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial as though some strange thing's happening to us. Part of our problem is to think this is strange. That, that's, for us, because we don't expect these kind of things, it's the fact that it, why does this happen? I don't understand. This is, it, the, don't be surprised. It's a fiery trial. Don't be surprised. It's like I got into the ring with Mike Tyson and he hit me. I mean, he hit me. You feel like saying, ha, come yourself lucky he didn't bite your ear off. I mean, he hit me. Yeah, no, no, don't be surprised. At the fiery trial. Again, 1 Peter 1. Now for a little while, see, Peter's writing this epistle. He's the guy who's been in the storm. He's been trained. So he can now be a good shepherd. He writes as a shepherd. Now for a little while, you may have to suffer various trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove genuine may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Don't be surprised. 
And he says, for a little while. It's God's perspective, a little while. It doesn't seem like a little while sometimes. Paul says this momentary light affliction prepares us for an eternal weight of glory. It doesn't seem like a little while when you're going through it, right? The time factor, it's out of my control. I remember when I was uh, at Stonely years ago, who knows, one or two might even remember it, I preached on being an arrow for God. And I really felt God spoke to me, and uh, I, 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 I just got captivated by this thought of an arrow. And uh, how, how an arrow is, is like a branch cut out of a tree, and then shaped, and there's all sorts of aspects to it. But I, I, I felt really stirred by it. One of the things that stirred me was... I know when I got converted, I don't think I got cut out of my tree. And even what I, the way I was taught to become a Christian was you could ask Jesus into your heart. That was the phrase. Not a very biblical concept, actually, in that way. Jesus said to guys, follow me, I'll make you. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So Peter got up and left. Abraham, come out of Ur of the Chaldees. I will do. Come with me, follow me. That's the gospel message. That's the New Testament. That's the Bible. We kind of turned it around and said, Jesus, come into my heart. And that's how I got saved. So I stayed in my tree. I'm still in my tree and I'm still, I mean really, I'm still drawing up all the sap. What, what the Bible calls that futile way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. I'm still drinking in all those values and I've got Jesus in my branch as well. I said, Jesus, come in. I said, oh, to the idols, move over a bit and let Jesus in. And I, that's it. And, and so I'm making a real mess of this because I've, I've asked Jesus in. And really, you have to, no, no, you have to be taken out. Imagine saying to a branch, how would you like to fly? You think, huh? What's flying? Speed through the air. Huh? What's speed through the air? Hitting a target. What's a target? See, concepts associated with an arrow, you can't even contemplate them in a tree. You don't live for flight. You don't live for hitting targets. So it's got to be a completely different mindset. And it only happens when you get cut out because that changes your identity. And while you're still in the tree, you're, you've got Jesus in your heart, say, like I had, but I hadn't changed identity. And then Jesus came to me and really spoke into my heart very strongly. One Sunday, just one Sunday in church. And, and said, I want your life. I mean, I, I really felt God's call in a way that I'd never felt before. I thought, Lord, yes, okay. And I came out of my tree. And, I, and I, I, I let God, I mean, it was pretty savage. It's like he beat me up, really. Because, you know, you say, you, cut, you, take, you take the branch out, you start cutting off the twigs and the leaves. You think, hey, that's me, that's part of me. Can I not, let me keep that leaf, let me keep that twig. I mean, that's me, that's me. And I can imagine the, the arrow maker saying, arrows don't fly too well with leaves attached. No, there's got to be a ruthless cutting away. I thought, ouch, ouch. Anyway, I had this word about an arrow. And then I was, I was, shortly after I preached it at Stonely, I was in Kansas City and I preached the same sermon. And when I'd finished, a guy came up to me from the crowd. He said, uh, I liked your word. I said, oh, thank you. He said, he said, that's my job. What's your job? I make arrows. Really? Because it's a big sport in America. Lots of people go hunting with bows and arrows. And he said, oh, yeah, we make arrows. I said, he said, you might be interested to know this. He said, when we've got the branches, he said, we have a machine, and uh, the machine has kind of troughs through it. You, so you take the branch, and you put it in the trough, and you take another branch, put it... You, and so it's like a, like a lot of curves, and, and you just place a branch in each one of these troughs. Then you pour water through. Then you put the lid down. Then you turn the heat up. He said, I thought you might find that interesting. I said, that's very interesting. He said, oh yeah, we put the heat on it. I said, yeah. He said, and we know exactly how long to leave the heat on. He said, if you take the heat off too quickly and you take the branch out, you try and get rid of that coating around it and you have to cut away and you can actually damage the arrow. 
So you don't want to take it out too soon. He said, we mustn't leave it in too long. Because if you leave it in too long, the wood itself begins to mush up. So he said, we know exactly how long to leave it in the heat. He said, is that helpful? I thought, oh, I can feel it. God knows exactly how long. He said, oh yeah, if we get it right, you just take them out and you just, you just go like that. And the outer casing of each branch just comes away. You've got that white wood inside. Then you start polishing. He knows exactly how long to leave us in the heat. And we say, how long? He knows exactly how long. He's in control. He placed them there. It was prolonged. It was purposeful. He knew what he was doing. He sent them into the storm. Next thing I just want to underline quickly is this. He saw them in the storm. Because the big fear is this. God, you don't know what's happening to me. And that's what Satan wants to say to you. God is not with you. God is not pleased with you. He's nowhere around. Can't see you. But what comes clear in this story is that he does see them. And we've got to see this as supernatural, isn't it? He's up on the mountain. Lake Galilee is not floodlit. And he's, they're miles away. This isn't natural. This has got to be supernatural. But he sees, and beloved, he doesn't just see it outward, he sees inward. He sees what's happening in their hearts. They are not hidden from him. I love what it says in Hebrews and chapter 4. It says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare. Hey, your heart, your anxiety, your questionings, everything is open and laid bare to the one with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone up the mountain, oh no, no, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast to our confession We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things, yet without sin. This is the training program. He's gone up through the heavens. He's gone up the mountain. They can't see him, but he can see them. Everything's laid bare. Beloved, everything's laid bare before God. He knows what's happening in your heart, in your mind, when you can't sleep at night. It's going round and round. You're getting scared. You hate waking up in the morning. You think, oh, I've got to face another day. You prefer the last thing at night when you just put your head on the pillow and just blot everything. But every new morning, you think, oh, God. All that's open. He can see it. It's all laid bare before him. He saw it and he came to them. Isn't it wonderful? He came to them. He came to them in the storm. Actually, he came to them. He took the first step. He sent them into the storm so they were, listen, his responsibility. When Jesus sends you, it's his responsibility. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't forget Oh, I thought, yeah, oh gosh, those guys in the storm, aren't they? No, no, he, he's actually focused. He sees them. He sent them, so he takes responsibility for them, and he comes to them, walking on the storm. And I, the thing that I love, it says, he came to them, he's walking on the storm, and he says, don't be scared. And then the actual Greek words are these, ego, I me. Now, that's I am. But actually, the verb am has in it I am. You don't have to say ego. You don't, that's, that doesn't have to be said. If you just have the word I me, that's enough. But he says ego I me, so it's emphatic. He's saying something. I am. Don't be scared. I am. And what is he doing? He's taking that name of God. He's walking on the sea only God can do this stuff. And he's coming to this. He says, don't be scared. I am. Now, Jesus often uses that language, especially in John's Gospel. You find in John's Gospel that Jesus will say things like this. Before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am. And he says to the Pharisees, unless you believe, I am, 
And you'll find often in your translations, they put the word he in the text. But if you look in the Greek, the he isn't there. It's actually not there. He just says, if you don't believe I am, you will die in your sins. He's making that cry. In fact, one time when he says they took up stones to, to stone him, because, well, this is blasphemous. He's using language about God. And then it says at uh, uh, Gethsemane, uh, and the, the crowd come out after him, uh, the crowd of thugs. He says, what are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth? They say, yeah, we're looking for Jesus. And he steps forward and says, I am. And they all fall back. It's, it's just making, he's making himself known. This, I am. And that, that every time he says like, things like, I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection. All those, all those statements have this ego army thing. It's God coming to us. This is God walking on a storm coming to us. And listen, he can either say, I am, or he can say this, don't be scared, it's me. And that is, to me, I, I think the incarnation, I, the more I think about the incarnation, the more amazed I am that God who created all things became a human being, was a seed in a woman's womb, became a little child, became a human. This is God. And the disciples say, the life was manifested. That's what John, I can imagine his pen trembling in his hand. The life. His glory. We saw him. He was, he was sudden. We saw him. We touched him. We handled, we handled the word of life. He was our friend. I slept on him. I leaned on him. I danced with him at weddings. God! He's walking on the water. He said, don't be scared, it's me. I am, he's saying, it's me. That's how we know God in a breathtaking way. We know him intimately. The I am has come into our lives, come into our boat, come into our storm with intimacy and friendship and knowing you personally. That's what it was like for them. I am the I am. Got into the boat with them. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Jesus comes to us. One last thing I want to see here. Just see what happened with Peter. This has so stirred me lately. What Peter, see, being with Jesus, he wasn't just a moral teacher. He didn't just come offloading us with loads of rules. I heard on the Today program, I guess it must have been last year now, and they were celebrating, I guess, the, the writing of the King James Bible or something. And the, it was on the Morning Today program. I listen to it most mornings when I'm having breakfast or something. And I'm just listening to John Humphreys bullying somebody. And, uh, and so they're talking about the Bible. And uh, John Humphreys is saying, oh, this book of moral values. And uh, there's a, a preacher on there with him, a minister. And he's a lot better than some they have. Because he interrupts. Uh, John Humphreys and says, no, 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 it's not, a, it's not a moral book. And John Humphreys interrupts him. I never thought I'd hear a man of a cloth say this is not a book of moral laws. He says, no, you haven't understood at all. It's about how God has to come down and deliver us. Oh, well done. Well done. Well done. Jesus isn't just a moral teacher. Being around Jesus makes you think differently. So here's Peter, and he sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. I mean, that's hilarious. Being near Jesus. It's like Jesus said, you feed them. What, me? Yeah, okay. You do it, you do it. Being with Jesus made you think, I don't know, I think I could live a completely different life. I think I could do things like... <laughs> They're just out of my realm. So he's not just shocked. He's something in him says, tell me to do it. That's crazy. It's wonderful and crazy. You tell me to do it. Just said it. You tell me to come to you. Now listen, he's not presumptuous. He says, oh, it's the Lord. I'll try that. He's, he's no fool, really. He doesn't step out presumptuously. He says, you tell me to do it. 
then it's his responsibility. See, that's how faith works, isn't it? So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. No, 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 don't do that. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Oh, there's a need. Someone should go. No, no, no. There's a need. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust forth. See, when you've been sent, when you know God sent me, when you really know that, God said, let's go to Derby, let's go and plant a church. It's not just, oh, let's, we've got a good idea. You just get, we can't not go. Because God, when you know God sent you, it's his responsibility. You can walk in a new kind of way. Jesus, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. Right, here I come then. Here I come then. And, and with one word, the Greek word is elfe. With one word, elfe. The power of gravity falls aside. He can walk on water. The Lord of glory just has come. And all what we might call the laws of nature become redundant. Because God's word overcomes them. Come. The power of the command of Jesus is awesome. And Peter walks out to him. Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking to Jesus. Now, he gets, us, he gets close enough that when he starts looking at the wind and the waves, help, Jesus is just a hand there. He's got right out to where Jesus is. He has walked on the water to Jesus. And Jesus takes total responsibility. See, when Jesus has come, he's telling me I can do it. He's telling you, you can do it. Come on. You can do it. And if you think again what Peter has written, in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says this, He has granted us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And when I first saw that NIV translation, I just, I remember sitting at my desk, I thought, look at that. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's not just enough for life. He has given you everything you need for godliness. Did you know that? Through the very great and special promises by which we escape the corruption in the world, the downward tug. Through the promises, we escape the corruption. We become partakers of the divine nature. We can walk in a way that we couldn't walk before. When he says, come on, step into my life, step into my world. Paul says, or Peter says, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can walk in a new kind of way. Jesus is not just learning a lot of rules, it's feeling myself called into a new lifestyle. Ability to do things I couldn't do before. I can walk away from sin. Things that pulled me down. Things that, I, things that I, well, before I was saved, I didn't seem to have much choice. I, I said, let's go out and get drunk. Let's go out and do this. Let's go out. Of course. I, 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 and even when, first of all, I, I became a Christian, these tugs, it was so difficult. I hadn't really got to know the great and precious promises. I hadn't got to know through the knowledge of Him. And the great and precious promises by which I escape the downward pull. And I'm a partaker of the diet. I can walk in a new way. Hey, that's true for us, beloved. You can walk in a way that you could never have walked if you didn't know Jesus. You can walk through crises. You can walk through sin. You don't have to be pulled down. You don't how I can't help myself. Hey, no, no, no. He said, come. He said, come. So we live in a new, we walk in a new way. Peter walked in a new way. He walked right out to where Jesus was. And then it says this sad thing, he saw the wind. Obviously saw the results of the wind and the waves. And When he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. And shouted out, Jesus, well, of course Jesus, of course Jesus will save him anyway. He's safe anyway, because Jesus will save him. But notice what Jesus says to him, and this I close with. I found it, just reading this recently, it really hit me. You think, you think Jesus will say, Peter, hey, well done. It's pretty hard walking on water, isn't it? It's quite a challenge. I'm really proud of you. 
Well done. The others didn't even risk it. Well done. Good boy. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say that. He looks the poor guy in the face and says, What's wrong? He says, Where's your faith? He says, You little faith. I mean, that's, it's, like, it's like the word is a, it's constructed that way. It says, you little faith. Why did you doubt? You little faith. Hey, I walked on water. Well, of course you did. I told you to. You little faith. Actually, beloved, if you think about it for a while, it, it really is ever so encouraging. It's kind of scary encouraging. It's kind of, well, why? of course you could do that. What's your problem? Isn't that what he's saying? It's not like, oh, Jesus had a bad day. He's pretty tired. You know, he's obviously fed up. Poor guy. Jesus, Jesus is having a bad day. No, Jesus didn't have any bad days. So when Jesus said to Peter, you little faith, that's the reality. That is truth. Isn't that so? Isn't that so? Isn't Jesus just losing his temper? Jesus having cranky? No, Jesus isn't cranky. Jesus is truth. He says, you little faith. What's your problem? You get similar to that in another time when it says, how long do I have to put up with this faithless, perverted generation? Jesus had a bad day that day. No, he never had a bad day. But he gave such good reasons for us to trust him. He, he, he does grow weary with their unbelief. And he's saying, why can't you walk on water when I tell you to? It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It is wonderful when Jesus tells us off. Because it means he thought I could do it. Doesn't it? It means, come on man, why didn't you do it? It means it's totally accessible. It means you're a clot for not doing it. That's what it means. It means, come on, what's, what's your problem? I love it. I, the more I think about it, I think, wow. He said, come on, come on, come on. You little faith. Why did you doubt? The Greek word is distatso, which has in it the, the concept of two things. It's like, why were your, split, why were your thoughts split? Why did you look this way and that? That's what it's saying, effectively. I reckon this. If he kept his eyes on Jesus' eyes, he'd have kept walking. Don't you? See, faith isn't... It's not a personality thing. It's, oh, she's got loads of faith. It's kind of extrovert personality. It's nothing to do with it. Nothing. Faith is believing Jesus. It's trusting God. It's saying what he says is true. Come. That's enough to trust. Come. Just look at... See, Jesus imparts faith. He's giving faith. The Wendy sang that interpretation earlier, that lovely song that we had in the tongue. If only I could touch him, the woman was saying. I just, if I just need to get to Jesus. If I, push, if I can touch him. And Peter knew him much better than that woman in the crowd. He just had to keep looking into his eyes. You keep looking into Jesus' eyes. Beloved, will you do that? See, I don't understand what's happening. It's buffeting. Keep looking into his eyes. We can do it. We can walk on water. We can learn the lesson. Jesus is training these guys. And Peter can write these wonderful epistles later on. Because he's been through, he's just been on, he's been in Jesus' training program. And then he can say, no, I'm, I'm sent by God. And he understands. You can walk in a new kind of way. So are you in a storm? It doesn't mean you've lost the Lord. Isn't that good news? It doesn't mean you've lost, it doesn't mean he lost you. Jesus sent them there. He, he's working through a much bigger program than they were. They said, we want to sit on your right hand and left hand. He says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, but you will do it. One day you will do it. 
Because I've got a bigger view, I've got a bigger plan than you've got. But you will get there. I've chosen you. You may be seeing very superficially who you think I am, what I'm about to do. I know the big plan and I'm going to get you there. I am going to get you there. It'll be through some buffetings, through some trainings, but I am going to get you there. He sees you where you are. He comes to you in power. He calls you to trust him. When you do that tonight, say, Lord, I really will trust you. Let's stand to pray. Let's just see Jesus. Have our eyes on him. He's so robust. He's so wonderful. Jesus is not a boring character. He's not a moralist. He doesn't come with rules. He comes inviting you to live a new life. Let's come to him. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right here now. We love being with you. We love you being with us. We come to you, Jesus. Lord, you know us. You know where we're coming from. You know who we are. And we want to express our confidence in you. I'd be so grateful if the band could come up and please uh, choose a song that we can sing in response to this word. Let's just come to him. Lord Jesus, we come to you. And... uh, It's a late evening already, Sunday. I don't want to prolong this meeting, but I do want to give you opportunity to say to Jesus, yes, Lord. Won't you do that? Won't you say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Some of you may be in real pain, and that kind of how long, Lord, is in your heart. But let's say, Lord, I trust you. I I just want... Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. Don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We trust you. We put our confidence in you. We ask, Lord Jesus, give us strength. Help us to see you. Help us to hear your voice saying, come. Help us to know you're calling us to walk with confidence that we can escape the corruption that's in the world. We can escape the downward pull. We don't have to give up. We don't have to slip and slide. We don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to think this is inevitable. I'm bound to sin. We can escape the corruption that's in the world. We can be partakers of the divine nature. We can feel something of the I am speaking right into my heart and saying, it's me, I'm with you. Lord, I ask you for everyone. I pray, Lord, let us express confidence in you. Let us live this life to your praise and to your glory. Teach us to walk with robust faith. Let us know the authentic Jesus who excited people, who called them into a completely new lifestyle, rescued them from boring, inevitable failure, and called them into a new lifestyle altogether. Bore them on eagles' wings. Oh, Jesus, bless us. Even as we sing your praise right now. Hallelujah. I'm somewhat tempted to invite people to come, but I'm not going to because it's late. So let's sing. Wherever you're standing, if you're responding to God, let's sing our confidence. Let's sing to God, Lord, we trust you. We're going to put all our confidence in you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord.
we're not going to have a time of ministry as time is against us this evening. But just before we sing that last refrain once more, if you feel this evening that you're in that storm, then just lift your hands to the Lord, just where you are. You don't actually need someone to pray for you or to lay hands on you. Helpful though that is sometimes. Actually, it's Jesus you need to look to. So Lord, we look to you. Lord, even in times of storm and battle, Lord, we say again this evening, we trust you. Lord, we look to you. And thank you that you call us to come. Thank you you look into our eyes and call us to come. So Father, I want to pray for any who feel that they're in that storm this evening, that Lord, they would hear your voice saying, come. They would see your gaze towards them. They would see you reach out your hands. Lord, we look to you. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.